Men, thanks for listening to our 920 Man Challenge podcast. These are Bible teachings that are meant to be discussed alongside other men in community at our Blankenbaker Man Challenge gathering, where we prioritize developing a competent and confident understanding of who Jesus is and authentic and intentional male relationships. We hope this teaching of God's Word grows your relationship with the Lord, and we urge you to unpack it in your relationship with others. Enjoy! All right, all right, welcome, welcome everybody. March Madness is here. I see Burke rocking the orange. Um, welcome everybody to Man Challenge. Um, you know, my name is Pete Nocta. You know, I've been coming to Man Challenge since 2015. Um, something I just wanted to point out, you know, our, our mission here at Man Challenge is to connect men to Jesus and one another. And, uh, you know, I'll tell you guys, uh, make it a non-negotiable in your life. I'll tell you, make it a priority. It's had a huge impact on my life and my walk, connecting me with Jesus, connecting me with other men. Um, You know, it introduced me to what it looked like to be a spiritual leader uh, and just link arms with other men that are on the same mission. And uh, and Ronnie, you know, I don't know if I don't know if Ronnie's here or not or where he's at, but uh, you know, the only knock I could have on this whole operation since the whole time I've been here is sometimes you get these guys up here on stage wearing orange and blue talking nonsense, and, and it's the propaganda that you don't really want to hear, so that's why you kind of see. I just want to thank you for getting that right, hiring, hiring our man Chris Morgan, so we could have a man of the people, for the people, to speak for the people. Um, so thank you, thank you, Ronnie, for getting that straight. Um, but obviously, you know, you saw the video that was playing right there. Um, you know, make sure you fill out a bracket. Uh, there's links. Um, if you have questions about that, just talk to your table leaders. They should get you right. Um, and if you, if you work for, um, so I work as the director of recruiting for, for football, for Louisville football, so if you, uh, we're not allowed to fill out brackets, so if you work for UofL compliance, I didn't fill one out, I'm good. If I did, I probably would have had Tennessee in the finals though, Chris, but I probably would have had UK losing to Murray State, so <laughs> I'm just sorry about that. Uh, and don't worry about us, we're getting right, you know. Kenny Payne, Kenny Payne. Uh, all right, um, but yeah, just like, like I was saying, you know, so I'm the director of recruiting for Louisville football. I actually played for Louisville, uh, played with Scott Long, who was here a couple weeks ago. Uh, you know, I've been a part of the program for 13 years now. Um, you know, playing there is, 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 is uh, living out a childhood dream of mine. You know, I was the son of a high school coach. A lot of his guys played at Louisville. Um, and so something I was grateful for, met a lot of great people along the way. Um, you know, throughout my time in college, uh, you know, I, I considered myself, um, you know, a young college student. You know, I'd go out, work hard, party hard, do whatever I think. Everything I did, I tried to do pretty hard. Um, but I'll tell you, I, I had some flaws. You know, I, I struggled with trying to always p- uh, please people, trying to make them happy. Um, and, and, it, and it wasn't necessarily always true to me. Um, it's just something that I dealt with. Um, and, and, you know, I've had a lot of people that poured into me over the years. And one of the things that always stood out was this verse. Um, it's Matthew 7, 24. And that's, it says, uh, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on rock. And I'll tell you, you know, my house was, my foundation was probably built on sand, right? You know, if, if you have a foundation built on rock, you know that house is solid. Me, I had a house built on sand. And, 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 and things, when things got shaky, you know, it, it was, it created problems. And so, um, you know, I always knew I wanted to build my faith. I, always, I knew, always knew I wanted to grow in my relationship with God. Um, but it was kind of one of those deals where 
it wasn't convenient at the moment. I need to put it off till later. Um, and, and really what the truth was, I didn't really want to have to face some of those things. I didn't want to give up some of the stuff that I was uh, personally going after. So uh, in May of 2015, you know, I was diagnosed with uh, stage four uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, it had kind of spread everywhere. You can kind of see a picture um, of, of my knee. You can kind of see it was like the size of a softball. And so, um, you know, it, it was scary. Um, but it's kind of God's way of telling me to stop running. Uh, and, and I learned a couple of lessons along, those, along the way. Uh, the first one is the power of prayer. And, and there was a verse that I came across early in my journey. Um, and it's James 1, 2 through 5. And, um, and it tells us, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials and tribulations of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, uh, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault. And, you know, I tell you that because it was an opportunity for me to go in and, and, and go through that battle uh, with joy, try to bring light to, to uh to, to the people around us because there was others that were suffering in the same way. Um, and so, you know, I go off into my journey, you know, typical journey, you know, I lose my hair, um, going through my treatments, you know, for me, actually, everything was going really well. Um, I go through my first three, get a scan. Hey, it's almost gone. We'll do another three. Um, so we, so we finish up, you know, and this takes about three or four months. Um, and, you know, we're thinking we're going in to get good news that we're in remission and, um, in fact, it was opposite. You know, things started to grow back. Uh, things were getting worse. Um, and, and, and at that point, you start to kind of lose hope. You know, you, you kind of see the writing on the wall. You know, the odds aren't really in your favor. And, and that was really, probably a really hard time in my life. It was probably a – it was just a hard pill to swallow because you thought, all right, this is what I thought was going to happen, and then, and then things changed. And I know a lot of you guys can relate to that. I know that's not just um, personal to me. I know there's a lot of people that struggle with that. Um, but, but I, I do kind of want to share how, how God kind of really impacted my life in that moment. So just a quick story. Um, one of my God experiences going through this thing. But I went to a church called St. Margaret Mary right across from Oxmoor Mall. And um, there was an old priest there, Father John. Um, and Father John had, you know, he's a little bit older. He kind of could get away with saying some things that you probably shouldn't say nowadays. You might get canceled. Um, but uh, I just one day I just remember him saying, more men need to come to adoration period, which is on Wednesdays when we bless the body and the blood of Christ. And uh, it's, it's me and a bunch of old women right now. So I'm thinking like, well, I got nothing better to do. I'll go. Uh, so I go and I pray. And, you know, he tells us to be pray. He tells you to be still and listen. Um, so, I, you know, I'm sitting there listening and, you know, 10 minutes go by and it's like crickets. And, and, and I feel like, am I doing this wrong? Um, and so I start looking around like, well, what do, what do you want me to, what do you want me to know, God? Um, so I look around and I see, uh, I see six candles, and I'm like, all right, six something. I see two crosses, and I'm like, all right, well, maybe I'm supposed to read six two something. Look around, I see all the old women, I'm like, all right, maybe I'm supposed to read, uh, or, or where's Father John at? And I see him around, I'm like, all right, man, I'm, I, I read John six two. So I, I flip to the Bible, I go straight to John six two, and the verse tells us a huge crowd was following him because they saw the miracles that he was performing on the sick. And, and you talk about getting goosebumps, and, and you know, my journey. Um, I got confidence, I'm good to go. My journey's got a lot of ups and downs, a lot of hardships. You know, it, we got to about Thanksgiving and, and, um, and I remember, you know, thinking like, is this the last time I'm gonna be able to spend my Thanksgiving together with my family? Is this the last time? Because nothing was still going right. You know, we get more treatment, nothing's going right. More tests, they're coming back. I'm still getting worse and worse and worse. Um, and I just remember praying to God, 
that, you know, if somehow, if you work a miracle in my life and you save my life, I'll forever share my testimony. Um, and, and, you know, that's what I'm doing here today. Obviously, uh, God restored me. God performed a miracle on my sick body. Uh, and at the same time, he performed a miracle on my sick. You know, coming out of that thing, was the, it was the biggest, it was the best blessing of my life. You know, I got baptized. You know, actually, Chris um, baptized me, and I was able to baptize my wife following it. Um, and so, you know, I, I just... I, I, it was something that uh, I'll never uh, want to change in my life. Um, but coming out of it, you know, uh, I'd also like to tell you guys, um, you know, plant seeds of life. You know, obviously I leaned heavily on the Lord and his wisdom in that. Um, but First Thessalonians 5.11 tells us, uh, therefore encourage one another, build each other up. Um, and, and obviously, you know, my wife and I, uh, you know, we, we'd been together. You know, there's a lot of men in this room that, that encouraged me through that battle. Like a guy, man, like Chris Morgan, you know, he's the first person in my chemo encouraging me, building me up. Um, you know, think about like our table that we had here at Man Challenge, uh, you know, guys praying over me, encouraging me. I remember Ronnie, you know, praying, taking me out to meals and just, just having God's armor, uh, God's warriors with me. I remember guys like Eric Wood or, or Joe Madej or, or Dane Mattingly, you know, all being there with me through all those moments, um, and, and I would just challenge you guys to take the next step, so, you know, throughout that whole journey, I, you know, I had promptings from the Holy Spirit, you know, whether it was dropping to my knees, fixing things in my life that weren't pleasing to God, dying to myself, um, you know, not being afraid to pour out my faith in others, and, you know, I just want to close in, in, in a quick little story about um, a friend of mine that, and it's crazy how God gives you experiences in life, and you may not know uh, his ways. They're not our ways. You may not know his thoughts. They're not our thoughts. Um, but we had a man that came to our table. So, so one of our friends, Dane Mattingly, his neighbor, a um, man named Eric Wolf, um, you know, he had been struggling with cancer as well. So Dane invited him to our table. Um, and Eric um, been struggling with cancer as well. Um, and, you know, he showed up, and he kept showing up, and, um, you know, after some time, you can kind of tell that he wasn't necessarily a believer. You kind of, kind of got the sense that he had questions. Um, and, and with that, you know, he kept showing up. And the reason why was because the fellowship at this table, so the fellowship that you guys all are having and connecting, he just kept showing up because he wasn't getting treated with pity. He wasn't getting treated, um, you know, like, like some cancer patient. He was just getting treated like one of the regular guys, and, and he just kept showing up. Um, you know, after some time, you know, we kind of got discouraged and we kind of, um, you know, why is he not, you know, we, he needs to, he needs to come to Christ. He needs to come to Christ. And, and we don't know why he's not doing it. Um, it, it, but we never grew weary. We just kept praying for him, praying for him. And then in the summer 2018, um, you know, his body kind of took a toll for the worst and, and we're at, you know, we decided to take our table to his house. Um, and we just kept meeting, kept meeting. And, and, uh, one day out of the blue, he sent a message saying, um, guys, I want you guys to come uh, watch me get baptized on a Tuesday afternoon um, in, in, in Southeast. So, so we came. Um, and then, you know, I want to I wanna bring up this passage. You know, the Apostle Paul says um, in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 through 9, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So ne neither he nor plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded for his own labor. For, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. Um, and guys, I'll tell you, two days later, Eric 
you know, he's, and he's a true warrior. He left this earth to be with his Lord and Savior. And, um, and even though his body was weak, his faith was strong. Um, and just a reminder that, that God's timing is not our timing, but, but God puts us where we need to be. So, so enjoy those moments. Don't get discouraged. Plant seeds when you're out in the world, when you're with the men at your table. Have intentional relationships. Um, because people did that for me in my life. Um, and, and you could just see, you know, not everybody's ending is the same, but, but God is good. And so, um, you know, he, he's going to give you exactly what you need at the right time. Um, and, and just on that note, you know, I've witnessed a lot of planting of seeds in the lives of many others like me. Um, you know, our guest speaker today, which I want to uh, introduce, Chad Mosteller. Um, he's been, uh-oh. So Chad, uh... Chad's been a pastor for 19 years, and as, and as long as I can remember, uh, you know, he's been a part of uh, the men's soccer team at UofL, uh, building uh, intentional relationships with, with those men there. Um, you know, he's currently uh, pastoring in the Highlands with our, our brother Terrence, um, and Chad has a, a beautiful wife, three kids, uh, Sarah and her three children, Liam, who's 12, Reese, nine, and Rowan, who's six. Um, and, and just before we get started, you know, I just wanted to uh, let you know, Chad, I reached out to your wife. Uh, just kind of asked her to tell us a little bit about you. Um, and this is, what, uh, this is what she said, all right? So she said, some, some of the things that make Chad an amazing husband, father, and spiritual leader of our home are his intentionality, his patience, his honesty, how much he loves his family. He is a man of integrity. He always tries to do the right thing and be above reproach. He is humble. He knows that he is constantly being shaped and formed by Jesus and that there is always room for growth. And when it comes to our kids, they would say they have the best dad in the world. He is fun to be around and always makes them laugh. So. And that was my wife, huh? Oh, yeah, Sarah. She, was, she, she, she had plenty of words. <laughs> so. If you guys don't mind, I'm, I'm going to pray over Chad, and then we'll get started. Um, dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you for just this group of men gathering, and thank you for uh, just your word, and we just pray that you would uh, open up our hearts to receive Chad's message. We pray that you would speak through Chad this morning, and we just pray that, um, that you would just be with us. You tell us where two or more are gathered in your name, that you will be, and so we just welcome the Holy Spirit into this uh, good morning, and it's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Well, I'm excited to be here. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. This is like kidney stone prevention month for me because the last four years I got kidney stones this, uh, this month. And uh, last time I got one 12 millimeters, all right, size of a dime, right before I was scheduled to speak. So if you see me guzzling water, that's why. It's just some PTSD, all right? So just uh, let, me, uh, let me read uh, Proverbs 15. Beginning in verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. A gentle or a healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit 
I love, love the scriptures. I love to dig in. I love to teach uh, from the scriptures. I love my early mornings and throughout the day. I mean, I love, love the scriptures. I'm a big context guy. Jewish rabbis in the rabbinic school, uh, when you turn the age of six, a little six-year-old boy was given a wooden slate by the rabbi. And the rabbi would take honey across the wooden slate. Now, many of these, many of these little boys don't uh, taste candy like we, uh, like we have here. And so the taste of honey was really sweet. And for many of them, it would have been the first time they had tasted this honey. And so they were to take their finger across the slate and they were to put it on their tongue. And it was to remind them of how sweet The word of the Lord is. In fact, David writes this in the Psalms. Sweet to my palate is your word more than honey. You see, the first time I realized the power of my words, and you need to know something. Our words have the power to bless or to curse, to give life or to take life. They have that kind of power. But to be honest with you, the first time that I had recognized that words matter and that my words had power was not from the scriptures. In fact, it was around 1987, uh, 1988 that I had uh, my, uh, my little iPod or what I call a Panasonic cassette tape player and I was walking through uh, my house uh, double wide trailer didn't know it was a double wide at the time we had just uh, we had just moved my dad left the year before never to see him again and so my mom was now dating this dude that was 23 years old he was about 13 years older than I am he would later become my stepdad and I'm walking through the house and somehow I got a hold of the run DMC uh, tape at the time raising hell all right don't ask me how I got a hold of it, but I did, and I loved Run DMC. May have had a little something to do with the... I've never come out to Run DMC in my life, okay? <laughs> but I'm walking through the house, and I'm, I'm playing this song, and I start to recite the lyrics having no idea what I said. And the lyrics were this. They're forever etched in my mind. I leave all suckers in the dust, those dumb mother can't mess with us and I just walk through the house my dad lo- or my uh, mom's boyfriend looks at me hey where's that what tape what tape do you have um it's a run dmc album he's like can I you mind if I see it <coughs> sure hit the eject button pull the tape out here you go he looks at it throws it on the ground and dog stomps that bad boy right in front of me And I'm like, what just happened? You just ruined my Run DMC tape. And that was the moment that I realized, like, I must have said something that set him off. Like, my words matter. You see, our speech is really an extension of who we are. And when you think about that, we worship a speaking God. He literally spoke things into existence one Jewish rabbi says this words are like arrows once released they cannot be taken back and arriving at their target they burrow deep inside have you ever let a word go that you wish you could have back you ever let something go that you wish 
you could get back. I know that day in that trailer, I wish I would not have let that go because I would have liked to keep the tape, to be honest with you. But our words have the power, the potential to bless or to curse. The proverb says, a soft or gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. If there was ever a more appropriate time for us to receive this proverb, it is now. A gentle word, listen to me, fellas, a gentle word de-escalates an argument. It softens a hardened spirit. This, to me, is the difference between reacting and responding. To react to someone is what I would say is void of what I call the sacred pause. You speak before you think. But a response is you pause. You take a moment to think about what you want to say and how you want to say it. And this is big time. If there was ever a time, we need it now. Oftentimes it is a harsh word that gets retweeted or shared. Cynicism is celebrated. Much of our political rhetoric is harsh and visceral. If I would have given this message 20 years ago, I would not have discussed what you post is an extension of your speech, and your speech is an extension of who you are. Something that we have to think about. It has become rare to actually sit down with someone in person that disagrees with us, that we have hurt, or we have offended, or better yet, has offended us. Many times, we just put something out on social. And fellas, passive-aggressive is not gentleness. I promise you at some point your aggression will spill out. I don't think Nathan would have posted David's sin for the world to see. I think he would have done exactly what he did that day with King David when he confronted him on his adulterous affair with Bathsheba. It was a gentle word that softened his heart, that ended up transforming David to be the man that we know him to be today. All because one man, one friend that Dave had relational capital with came and chose to speak with him in person and to confront that man. And some of us in this room know what that is like. You see, our speech has to become a spiritual practice. This is why the scriptures teach, be slow to speak, quick to listen. Much of our modern language suffers from what I would call a deprivation of wisdom. We lack wisdom. It's what one theologian has coined this, this term called juvenilization. Juvenilization. We celebrate immaturity. This has taken place in many places in the church, threatening the ability for the church to have a culture of wisdom. Listen to me. The 50s and 60s are when churches begin to attempt to be relevant to the younger generation to win them back or to retain them. They were coming off post-World War II, and they wanted to keep these kids. There was a lot of things moving and shaking during this time. In fact, many people today would say our present cultural moment is the most divisive, the most contentious it's ever been. But if someone grew up in the 60s, you may have something different to say. 
there was certainly political unrest or political polarization during that time with the election of John F. Kennedy and later the assassination of John F. Kennedy. That's not to mention the civil rights movement, the Jim Crow laws, the segregation. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. would rise up during this time and with gentle speech would create a nonviolent movement, but people would also watch what felt like just moments later, that man being assassinated. That's not to mention all the tension around the Vietnam War. And that's also not to mention the sexual revolution. You see, it's important that we talk to those and learn from those that have walked before us because they have perspective. Our perspective is limited. This is why multi-generational rooms and spaces and churches really make a difference. My inner circle truly that know everything about me, two of the folks in that inner circle, one is 72 years old, a man named Ron that is fighting cancer and has been fighting cancer since 2017. Another man is a man named Blake that's 65 years of age. They know everything. They speak into me. It's important that I have their perspective. But many times we celebrate this juvenilization. Folks, in the 60s, there were four to five bombings on a college campus every single year. Like this kind of perspective is so important. And much of what's being put out there, much of the speech that's being put out there, lacks wisdom. You see, in the pursuit to be relevant to the youth, we lost wisdom. Proverbs were always meant to be passed down from one generation to the next, in community together, repeated, memorized, to create what? To create a culture of wisdom, a culture that has been tried and tested. Do you remember the moment that uh, David is about to fight Goliath? We've all heard this story. David's about to fight Goliath, but few people forget what happened prior to that fight. You see, King Saul heard that David wanted to take on Goliath. Everybody else was scared. But David was the armor bearer, you see, to Saul, who was a man of stature that would be the one to take on someone like Goliath. But do you remember what happened? Saul says, you've got to take my armor. You've got to take my armor. He puts his armor onto David. Now, here's what you need to know about David. David was what was called a slinger. You look up anything, Google slingers. Make sure you spell slinger right before you Google it. All right? But David was a slinger. He had to have full rotation. Beginning at age four, he was locked into a target that he could hit a target, please hear me on this, a football field away with a tiny stone. This is who he was. And so David comes back to Saul and he says, I tried it. I can't do this armor. It has not been proven. What's he saying there? Wisdom told him, you have been trained all your life for this moment to do it a certain way. This knowledge has not been tried and tested. You see, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Not all knowledge is wisdom, but all wisdom is knowledge. Wisdom is knowledge that has been tried and tested. We lack a lot of this. 
My oldest just turned 12. He has reached the age where he looks at me constantly and says, I know, Dad. I know. Just a few weeks ago, he had some buddies over downstairs in the basement, some middle school guys, sixth graders. Okay, they're down in the basement. I overheard him say when my six-year-old boy was going downstairs to be with the boys, my son said, you can't come down here because you can't see or hear what we're watching. That's a big deal for a dad to hear. So I go over there. I say, hey, Liam, come up here for a moment. Hey, what are you watching down there? Well, Dad, it has some, some really bad language. Well, buddy, what are we talking about here? Dad, I'm 12. That's what he said to me. Dad, I'm 12. And then he said to me, then he said to me, you're not going to bring God into this, are you? <laughs> I'm like, son, I want to anoint your head with oil right now because it's about to get poured out. But we had an, an intentional talk later about how this kind of stuff matters, particularly to his friend that's a non-believer. But I would even say, more importantly, his six-year-old brother that looks up to him. You see, our speech, or what we're listening to, will spill out at some point. Have you seen the commercial with LeBron James speaking to his 17-year-old self? He says this, in the commercial. It's a great commercial, but listen to what he says to himself. I can't tell you everything, but if you want to make history, listen to me, you've got to call your own shots. I'm telling you, fellas, that's knowledge that has not been tried and tested. There's no way to live. We need perspective. We need wise counsel around us. You see, there are actually more than 15 words for our English word wisdom. The word wisdom does not quite capture the nuance of this important word. This is the way that I would define it. Wisdom is this. It's not only the quality of character of the person, but it's the conviction to live it out. It's not only the quality of character of the person, but it's the conviction to live it out. The Gospel of John writes this. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. God places such high value on speech. Speech is an extension of who we are, and our speech is deeply connected to who God is. You have heard it said, sticks and stones may break my bones, but what? Names will never hurt me. Fellas, that is so not true. <laughs> that is so not true. Words matter. I remember being on the seventh grade bus, Asking Kelly if she liked me. Better yet, I asked somebody else to ask Kelly if she liked me. And Kelly's response was this. No, because he looks like a turtle. <laughs> I had hair then. I look more like a turtle today than I did then. I'm triggered every time I see a little snapping turtle cross the road. <laughs> Words matter. Words are significant. According to the writer of these Proverbs... Wise speaking always points back to the first few pages of the Bible. Verse 4, and this is where we're going to anchor. A gentle or a healing tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. It always points back to Eden. Have you ever thought about your tongue as a tree of life? It has that kind of power. It has the power to both give life or take life. 
Think of the first two pages of the Bible. God speaks creation into existence. He orders the world through these speech acts. God says, it's not good for man to be alone, but what does he do? I will make him a suitable helper. But then God does something that many of us miss. Listen to the very next verse. Now out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he, Adam, would call them. Why is that significant? The first human act is verbal. It's the naming of the animals. Whatever the human called the animal was its name. Think about that. The rhinoceros, the lion, the hippopotamus. Whatever it was, Adam got to name it. Now, can you imagine God, the creator of the world, watching his most prized creation literally give names and identity to the animal kingdom? He had to be sitting back and saying, this is what it looks like to bear my image. You see, our words have the power to bless, to bring life, or to kill. Or to curse. It's as if just moments later, this blessing is now a curse. You see, in Genesis 3, speech was perverted. Language begins to fall. The serpent says to the human, did God actually say? And all of a sudden, the curse comes into the picture and everything changes i will never forget visiting an african village this is more than a decade ago and i went into this village i'm about to preach and it was a school a primary school of young ladies they were around high school age and they did a presentation right before i was coming up i was seated front row and it's packed outside more than a hundred girls outside the first little girl comes up, she says, my name is abuse. The second little girl comes up, my name is curse. The third little girl comes up, my name is rape. And I lean over to the pastor next to me, a friend, Afantes, and I said, Afantes, why do they keep saying this? And he said, this village is under the curse of a witch doctor. And every time mom was raped... The child that she bore, she named that child rape. That child was to be forever reminded that she was a curse. And so needless to say, the whole sermon changed. And in the matter of minutes, I'm taken to Proverbs 22, verse 1. A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. I can tell you in 19 years of pastoral ministry, this is the most significant moment I had ever experienced. Because I walked through Scripture, I walked through the New Testament, and told these little girls how everything changes with Christ. And I gave them literally a new name. It's why in the African culture, when many people come to Christ, they give away their old name and they take on a Christian name. They take on a new identity. You see, our words have the ability to bless or to curse. 1 Samuel 3.19, describing the prophet Samuel, the one to anoint David. Listen to what it says of Samuel. Not a single word that came from the mouth of Samuel fell to the ground. 
Think about that. Could you imagine what it could look like if we raised up a culture of men that are Samuels, that not a single word hits the ground? Because we are absolutely committed to blessing and not cursing. And that's post-Genesis 3. So sin didn't wipe out or pervert all of our speech. You have the power to bless or curse. It's been most of my life that I have battled shame and guilt. My dad left when I was eight years old. I remember when he got down on one knee, told me he was going to California, said he would be back in two weeks. He was a leader in the church. And I remember him backing out of that long gravel driveway in Indiana and never saw him again. I battled, I battled that voice of you're not good enough my whole life. My whole life. Tim Keller says this about our words. Our words can heal, but what will heal our words? You see, when you have a wound like that, it gets into your heart, and it changes the way you speak. More importantly, it changes the way you hear things. Jesus says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He goes on to say, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. See, I'm absolutely convinced that those who speak harshly or visceral, those who put themselves out on social media, those who do this and, and, and look as if they're confident are some of the most insecure people on the planet. It's easier to project my shame and guilt onto someone else. And most of the times, the ones that suffer is the next generation. It's a son or daughter that now that father or that mother has committed without ever saying it, the cycle's just not going to be broken. And I was absolutely committed that that would not be true for my kids. And so when my father left and when I battled this not being good enough, the last year, truly, I had I, stuff started to pop up again. Some suppressed memories even that I didn't even know were here started to surface. There were really, really dark days dating back to when I was eight years old. After my dad left, I went to two counseling sessions and I was done. But this past year, someone stepped into my life that had an expertise that was a spirit-filled psychologist and started dealing with all of this stuff. But you know what the hardest part about this past year has been? Not the suppressed memories. Not the dealing with my dad who left. Not dealing with my mother who passed away suddenly seven years ago. It was when my little girl, eight years old, comes up to me two weeks ago. Dad, do you hear those voices? Honey, what are you hearing? And it was all shame and guilt. It was no external voice. It was a voice in her head. The same voice I had heard since I was eight years old. That's where it hit. And so this psychologist has been working with us, with our daughter. And you know what her remedy is? You breathe life into her. You speak over her. You bless your little girl. 
that's what I get to do. You see, it's like you're looking at the front door and you see who's at the front door, but your daughter can't quite get up to the window to see who's there, but you know who's there. And you're like, baby, you don't have to open that door. This is a curse. And I'm going to speak a blessing into you. A healing tongue is a tree of life. Healing speech has to become a spiritual practice. Our words have the power to give life or to take life. Fellas, there is no in-between. So may I give you just some pastoral reflections for your tables. First thing is this. Practice grace-based speech. Practice grace-based speech. Let me ask you this. Whose voice are you listening to? Who is speaking into your life? I still remember hearing those words as if it was the first time when Jesus comes out of the water from being baptized and he hears the words of his father. Before he had done anything of any significance, the father says to him, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. If Jesus needed to hear that, fellas, we need to hear that. Do you know that your father is pleased with you? Can you hear that voice? You see, someone has spoken into your heart, and I am telling you, if you are not willing to dig deep at some point, it begins to spill out of your mouth. The question is, what's going to spill out? Is it going to be a blessing or a curse? You see, maybe it was a father, a mother, a teacher, a coach, or a friend that spoke, some, spoke something to you that felt more like a curse than it did a blessing. I encourage you, in fact, I implore you to confess this at your table. Let the fellows around your table speak a blessing into you. For some of us, we are giving way too much attention to the voice of politics or media, both liberal and conservative. There is such a deprivation of wisdom in both. Why has fake news become the norm? Because we've gotten used to the noise. And the noise lacks wisdom. It's why the scriptures teach, be slow to speak and quick to listen. A good practice before you speak, or maybe before you post something, is to ask yourself these three questions. Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? And number three, is it helpful? Number one, is it true? Number two, is it kind? Number three, is it helpful? Fellas, learn these words. I forgive you. I love you. I am sorry. Thank you. Please forgive me. That's grace-based speech. And please hear me. To be kind and helpful towards someone may be telling them what they do not want to hear, but they need to hear it. Thank God. Thank God Nathan spoke into David that day. It changed the trajectory of his life and generations after him. Number two, bear with me on this one. Number two, read a dead guy. Read a dead guy. This is knowledge tried and tested. Read more biographies. There has been a lived experience. There is something to learn from both their mistakes and the areas where they lived this life beautifully. Let me ask you this. Are you reading just for information, just to get information, 
or formation, being transformed by what you're reading. That's the way that we approach the scriptures. Are you reading just to get information or formation? Number three, pray the Psalms. Pray the Psalms. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, God's speech in Jesus Christ meets us in the Holy Scriptures. He believed the Psalms shaped and formed Jesus' speech, not to mention his prayer life. Jesus prayed the Psalms every single day. Our speech and prayer life are deeply connected. How we talk to others may reflect something about our own personal prayer life. That's a really big deal. If you find yourself and you can ask somebody at your table what they think of your speech, you may find yourself always story topping or somehow the story always comes back to you. That probably reflects something about your prayer life. That's a really big deal. Does it mean that you don't pray for things for you and for your family? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But our prayer life and our speech are deeply connected. I just want you to listen to the writer of the Psalms. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Discipline my tongue. My tongue belongs to the Lord. I confess my sin to the Lord. When I held on to my sins, my bones wasted away. My mouth shall speak wisdom. The meditation of my heart shall be understanding. Create in me a new heart. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The Apostle Paul summarizes this message best when he writes in 1 Corinthians 13, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. When I was a child, catch this, fellas, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for being a perfect father. Thank you for speaking creation into existence. Thank you for being a God who not only speaks a blessing but breaks a curse. Thank you, Holy Spirit for who you are, for how you drive us, for how you animate our lives, for how you help us, guide us, shape us, form us. And Jesus, thank you for becoming flesh, for taking on flesh. You know everything there is to know about a curse. You know everything there is to know about speech that was directed towards you and you took it on and you exhausted that evil of everything that it has to offer. And more importantly, you raised three days later. That's what we lean into. That's the hope that we speak into this world. And so God, I pray that you would anoint this time around the tables. Pray that some guys would just open up and trust that you have a word for them today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, fellas.
Thanks for listening to this week's Bible teaching from Man Challenge at the Blankenbaker campus of Southeast Christian Church. For more information on how to get involved, reach out to us via the email address in our podcast description or find us on social media.